Our second Bible reading will be from Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 42 and 49 to 56. It's on page 1083 of your pew Bibles. Uh, You can follow on the screen behind me as well. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to uh, give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, friends, again. Today is Palm Sunday, which means it's the Sunday before Easter, and it's a good time to start remembering and reflecting on the Easter story. It's a day we remember Jesus entering into Jerusalem on a donkey, the king of the universe, but headed towards the cross. And so over the next few days before Good Friday, which we'll celebrate together on Friday, it might be worth just reading again the Easter story by yourself or with your friends and family, just reflecting on what Jesus came to do for our sake. And so it's an important time, particularly quite somber as we head towards Friday, but knowing it, that it is good news for us. Well, let's turn to this passage and we'll consider this. There is an outline in the order of service. You might find that helpful. Let's join in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we consider this passage, do help us to be prepared in our own hearts as we reflect on the person of Jesus, what he did come to do, and especially this coming week as we are reminded of the Easter story and help us, Lord, to respond appropriately to him, the King and Lord of the universe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this evening I'd like to start with some congregational participation. So, you know, raising your hands if it's, um, if it's you. How do you feel about running late? Are you one of those who get really anxious? Really, really anxious. I'm running late. Let's go. Anyone like that? Yes, some of us are. Or... Are you one of those who think, it's okay, I've got plenty of time, it'll be fine, they can wait? Anyone like that? Yes, some of you are, yeah, the blokes, okay. Are you one of those who think, like English minister Matthew Henry once said, better late than never? Anyone like that? Might as well come, you're going to be late, but better to go anyway. Or are you more like Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw? Better never than late. Yeah, some of us are. You're late already? Forget it, I'm not going. 
Well, I wonder whether this evening, you know, it, it is the end of daylight savings, the last, or this early morning anyway. Who spent the extra hour sleeping? Some of you did. Who thought, an extra hour, how much more can I do in this day? An hour of chores, anyone? An hour of just being productive. A 10K run? No one? An extra hour. So this evening, I'd like us just to reflect, are we usually those who are late or those who are early? Or are we those who are always on time? It's interesting just to reflect on, isn't it? And I was noticing, I was actually standing at the back just to notice who was coming in late this evening. But anyway, that's a different story. You see, different cultures see time differently. And just yesterday, in fact, I learned of this new idiom. It's, um, It's the idiom, Malaysian rubber time. I had no idea there was such a thing. But anyone heard of Malaysian rubber time? It means if you say you're going to be five minutes late, it really means you're going to be an hour late, but it's okay anyway. That's Malaysian time. But different cultures will see time differently. In Japan, if you're one minute late, you are late. One minute late, you're late. In Germany, to be on time means to be 10 minutes early. That's Germany. Now, you might be wondering, where is this guy going with this? There is a point to it. Because the question I want to ask you to ponder this evening is this. Do you think God is ever running late? Do you think God is ever late? Do you think if we were to invite God to our party, my party, that he'll rock up late? And he might apologize and say, sorry, a bit of traffic in heaven, getting to your party. Do you think God is ever running late? And do you think whatever God is doing in the world now, today, or whatever God is doing in my life today, it's just taking too long. He's late. And I wonder whether we even have these questions to God. Why, God, haven't you done it yet? Why, God, haven't you fixed my problem yet? Why, God, haven't you stopped the pain yet? Why, God, haven't you given me the peace yet? Jesus, why are you late? And I wonder whether that's a question you might be asking. Because often life will feel like that, just like that. And I take it that even some this evening will feel that way. Jesus, why are you late to my business? And so when we come to this story now, and so do have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 8. As we come to this story now, I want us to come having that sense of time is running out. I want us to come with that sense of of time. It's running out. Time is of the essence. Because when we look at the situation of Jairus, this synagogue ruler, who was a prominent man in the city, you know, think someone like the mayor. He's important. He's wealthy. He's got prominence. And for him, time was running out. And so he comes to Jesus in desperation and he, he comes to Jesus on his knees begging, my little girl, she's dying. She's only 12 years old and she's dying. Now, now recall he's a wealthy man, an important man in the city, which means he would have spent a lot of money on doctors already. The best doctors coming along to his place to check out his daughter to diagnose and see what they could do. And I suspect 
He may have heard those chilling words you never, ever want to hear from a doctor. And what are those words? There's nothing we can do. Imagine hearing that as a parent about your child. And so can you sense the desperation? Time is running out. And there's this sickening feeling inside only a parent could feel. In fact, many years ago, I felt that sense of desperation in a smaller way, but I was still feeling very desperate. It was about 15 years ago, in fact, now, when Esther, my daughter, was only one years old, only child at that point. We went to the restaurant with our church family back then, and we thought this is a nice place, and the waiter was quite kind, and he gave an egg to Esther. And I thought, this is quite a nice place. A hard-boiled egg for Esther to play with. But in fact, what was happening was that he was playing a prank on Esther. She was only one. Because it was a raw egg. So she played with it. It broke and it went all over her face. And her face started to flare up, swell up, went all red. And her eyes, you could barely see her eyes. And let me say, I was not a very happy father. And if you sense that desperation, first-time parent, with my only child, and this is what you think is funny. And so the emotions were all over the place, and time was of the essence. And so we rushed her to the hospital, and inside as we were driving, we, we had that sickening feeling. We had no idea, I'm not a doctor. Went to the hospital, the doctors checked her out, and of course it was an allergic reaction. But here in this story, it was worse. Because this was a 12-year-old girl who was dying. It wasn't a, an allergic reaction she'll recover from. She was dying. And no father should ever have to experience such a thing. You know, I would break down too in front of Jesus if that was me. Now imagine how he felt at that moment. Jairus coming to Jesus in desperation. He's pleading to Jesus and Jesus agrees. Jesus starts to walk with him to his home. And then what happened? Well, Jesus gets interrupted by that bleeding woman we considered last week. And he must be thinking, Jesus is coming with me. Don't stop now, Jesus. My, my daughter, she's dying. Do, do not stop. It's, it's going to be out of time. We're running out of time. You're going to be late. Now, if you were Jesus, what, what would you have done at this point? You've got the two situations. You've got the one with the chronic illness bleeding for 12 years. And you've got this 12-year-old girl who was about to die. Which one would be considered more desperate? Which one was the emergency? I mean, the girl was dying, wasn't she? She was only 12. You shouldn't be stopping for anyone. You need to come with me. It should be like the ambulance. You don't even stop for the traffic lights. But what did Jesus do? He stopped. And he gives his full attention to that bleeding woman. Now, what would you have done? If, you, if you're a doctor, you have to make that assessment. What would you have done? The one who's been bleeding for 12 years or the 12-year-old girl who was about to die? Well, I thought I asked a doctor from our church and one gave me this answer. I asked, so what would you do? Who would you help first? And this doctor from our evening service said, well, the bleeding woman, it seems chronic, but presumably it hasn't caused the major issues for 12 years and so just send her to the GP we don't want her to clog up the emergency department and this doctor said I, I would see the young girl first the acute patient not the chronic one 
But for Jairus, time was running out. We're going to be late, Jesus. Come, do not stop. But then Jairus, he sees what we saw last week. And everyone else saw Jesus healed that bleeding woman on the spot. He can do it. Now, what would Jairus be thinking at this point? Well, maybe now he sees, well, maybe this Jesus, he does have this power to heal my daughter. He just healed this bleeding woman. He can perhaps heal my daughter too. And so, Jesus, let's get going now. Let's get going. But then we read in our passage, the news came. The worst news to fall upon the the ears of any parent. His heart would have sunk as low as it could possibly go. And what happened? Look at verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and said, Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. It's too late, Jesus. Maybe if you did run, if you came with me quickly, if you didn't stop for that woman, maybe would have got there in time. But now it's too late. I mean, imagine his emotions. Frustration. Anger, if only. And of course, also deep sorrow. But now notice what Jesus said next. Jesus spoke. He spoke to Jairus. And he spoke as though he had all the time in the world. Look at verse 50. What did he say? Don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be healed. In fact, the word there in the Greek is she will be saved. It's that same word we've been hearing over and over again in Luke chapter 7 and 8. She'll be saved. Now imagine what would have been going on through this father's mind at this point. His emotions would have been going all over the place. What do you mean, Jesus? Don't be afraid. Of course I'm afraid. I'm terrified. In fact, my daughter's dead. It's too late. You shouldn't have stopped, Jesus. But was Jesus too late? Well, Jesus arrives at the home and he sees many mourners and they're wailing and weeping. Of course you would. If you were there, you'd be crying as well. 12-year-old girl. But what did Jesus say? Verse 52. Stop wailing. She's not dead, but asleep. Now, if you hear that, what would you do? We'll probably do the same thing as they did. Laugh at Jesus. What do you mean, Jesus? She's really dead. She is dead, and you are too late. And everyone would have known, once death has arrived at the door, there is no turning back. You cannot reverse death. You cannot turn back the grave. The grave has won once again, and the grave has swallowed up this little life, his only daughter, and Jesus was too late. I mean, if Jesus worked according to my time frame, maybe we could have got there. But was Jesus too late? Did Jesus know that the girl would die before he arrived? What do you think? Of course he did. Of course he did. But if he had rushed there before she died and healed her before she died, what would Jairus have missed out on? What do you think? What would Jairus have missed out on? Well, he would have missed out on seeing a power that was beyond what he hoped for. He did not hope for that, but he got to see a greater power. 
And he received from Jesus far more than what he was expecting. He wanted merely a healing. He got a resurrection. You see, Jesus is never late. Never late in his purposes. He's never too early. Or is he ever too late? He is always on time. And here Jesus is teaching Jairus something. You need to come around, Jairus. I don't work according to your time frame. I don't bend towards your will, but you need to work with my time frame. Your will needs to bend to my one. And you will see a love beyond what you expected nor hoped for. You see, when it comes to Jesus, he's never late. Never late in his purposes. In his timing, things are always best. Now, in saying that, I suspect many of us will hear that and think, that's not just hard to say. It's even harder to believe. I mean, you don't know my situation. Jesus, do you really know my situation? If you did, you would act. You don't really know the difficulties of my life at the moment. You don't know the burdens that I'm carrying and I'm bearing. Jesus, you should bend towards my time. You need to act now. But could it be, if we're thinking that, could it be that in Jesus' timing, what is best for you, what is best for me, is not healing now. In Jesus' timing, what is best for you is not the pain gone now. What is best for you is not the chronic illness ending now. It's not your problem solved now. But what's best for you is what you do not yet see. What's best for you is something you are not yet aware of. And so Jesus says, do not be afraid. Just believe. And so what happened to this little girl? In Jesus' timing, look at verse 54. He took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. And her spirit returned. And at once she stood up. I mean, as simple as that. With Jesus, waking someone from the dead is just as easy as waking someone who has fallen asleep. Just as easy. My child, get up. In fact, in Mark's gospel account, this same story, the Aramaic words of Jesus were preserved. And so in Mark chapter 5, we see this same story, but we see the original language. In verse 41, he took her by the hand and said to her, Tavitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Now what's worth us noting here was that in the original, in the Aramaic that Jesus would have spoken, to say, little girl, Talitha, it's the Aramaic words preserved so that we might sense the tenderness of Jesus, the gentleness of Jesus, because Talitha is a bit like a nickname you would call your own child. It's like a pet name, a name you would call someone who is very dear to you. You know, a nickname a father might call his own daughter. In my household, I, I don't call Esther by her name Esther. When I call her by S, it means that she's in trouble. The way we call each other in our family, in our household, in, in the Chinese language, you call each other by our relationship. And so the same thing with Yvonne. I don't call her Yvonne, otherwise she's in trouble too. I call her wife. And with Esther, I call her daughter. 
daughter. It doesn't sound very sweet or endearing, but it is. It's very dear and endearing and sweet. And so here, it's like the father calling his daughter, Jesus calling this little girl, pumpkins, honey. What else do we call girls? Teddy bear, Tim Tam, whatever you like. Maybe Tim Tam's for a boy. Jesus gently holds out his hand and with his soft voice calls out to her tenderly, daughter, honey, get up, upsy-daisy. Just like waking her up from her sleep. I mean, when I try to wake my kids up, it's not that tender. It's like, kids, we're running late. We've got five minutes. Brush your teeth. But he, Jesus, so, so tenderly. You see, death to Jesus was just like that daughter sleeping. No dramatic event here. No big show. No breaking a sweat. No stress at all. Just like waking her up from her sleep. As easy as that. Just like how he calmed the storm with his voice. Just like how he cast out the demons by speaking. Wake up. And her spirit returned her. You see, what happened was that though it was so simple as we read it, what happened was that Jesus stretched his arm right into the darkness of death, into the terrifying unknown, and brought her back to life. Timothy Keller, pastor, author, he's very insightful when he writes about this story. He says this, he says, It's as if Jesus says, if I have you by my hand, then even death itself is but a good night's sleep. If you're with me, nothing can hold you back. Pretty wonderful, isn't it? And so what was that day like for Jairus? I mean, he started the day desperate. Time is running out. You're going to be late, Jesus. Come on, let's get going now. And then shortly later, when he was healing that bleeding woman, Jesus, I'm getting more desperate now. Time is really going to run out. And then only shortly afterwards, time has run out. You're too late, Jesus. You're too late. But then by the end of the day, time has not run out. In fact, Jesus, you're really just on time. You see, Jairus came to Jesus expecting just a healing. Jesus gave him far more, a resurrection. He wanted this much. Jesus gave him that much. And it was just on time. You see, this passage is to teach us that at least we must hold dear and believe that Jesus, in all his good purposes, is always on time. I mean, we all have our habits. Some of us are always late. Some of us are always on time. For church, as a side point, be on time. In fact, be early. But that's not the point, but I want to make that point. You see, when it comes to Jesus, he's never late. We want things done instantly, don't we? Whatever problems we face, we want to fix now. Instant. That's why we have instant noodles. Instant soup and that app you use, Instagram or whatever that is. We want our problems solved immediately. 
But often, it's not the way Jesus works. He doesn't work according to our time frame. He's got his own time frame that we must trust is best. And again, that's, that may be easy to say. In fact, it's not that easy to say, but it's even harder to believe. Because as I reflect, even on our church family, the things that people are going through, how can you really believe this? How can you believe that months spent in a hospital and then to think Jesus' timing is still best? How can you believe that if you suffer mental illness for years and it's not getting better and the medication's not working and still think Jesus' timing is best? Or how can you think that I must persevere with depression where the sky is always grey and there are no colours at all and still to think Jesus' timing is best? How do I live with chronic back pain? That's debilitating. And still think Jesus' timing is best. Or how do you live knowing that you have parents who do not believe? Siblings who do not believe. Children who have walked away from the faith. Grandchildren who have walked away. A husband or wife who do not come to church and still think, Jesus' timing is best? Or how do you believe that you can face bereavement of a loved one, of parents, a spouse, or a child, and still think this, Jesus' timing is best? You see, all those examples are examples of those from within our church. And so how can anyone believe like what Jesus said? And told Jairus to do, don't be afraid, but believe. How? How is that possible? You see, when Jesus held out his hand to that girl, when he grabbed so gently and tenderly upon her hand, it meant that he would never abandon her to the grave. And for that to happen, in the fullness of time, one day Jesus will lose the hand of his father. And he will be abandoned to the grave. You see, this story here looks forward to the Easter story we are going to celebrate this Friday and next Sunday. Because Jesus will face death. He'll go into the blackness of death itself and he'll defeat death by his own death. He'll be abandoned to the grave so that we who trust in him will never ever have to be abandoned nor forsaken by God. You see, this story is setting us up for the Easter story. And this story we've been considering, and the stories we've been considering this whole term, is to call us, who is it that we will trust in? Who is it that we will believe in? Even in death, who will we trust? Or will we trust him, who sees death as just like a good night's sleep, and he can just wake us up and say, child, Get up. You see, in this, during this term, we've been considering Luke chapters 7 and 8. The theme of our series was the faith that saves. And you'll notice that in each and every story, the gospel call was there, calling out, will you believe? Who do you trust? 
to whom will you stake your life upon? Every story. So will you believe? To whom will you entrust your life? We saw in the very first week, the centurion who expressed amazing faith, have faith like that. We saw in the second story, the widow's son who was raised to life. You see that, of course, you believe. We saw the faith of the prostitute who washed the feet of Jesus. Her faith saved her. We listened to the parable of the sower. Be like that good soil that will receive the word and will grow and produce fruit. We saw the disciples in the storm. They should have trusted Jesus. They were in the safest place possible. We saw how Jesus healed the demoniac. He can be trusted. And then last week, the bleeding woman, her faith saved her. And now today with this little girl, whose life was snuffed away, but with that tender hold of Jesus and his gentle voice, her life returned. And so each week, the call of the gospel has been going out. Will you believe? Do you believe? To whom will you stake your life upon? You see, in this series in Luke, I've been moved many times just reflecting on how beautiful, how awesome, how gentle and tender Jesus is. Because you look at the stories, he would lay his eyes upon those no one else would look at. He would touch the one no one else would want to come close to. He would stop for people no one else would ever notice. He would speak to those with gentleness and tenderness no one else would care for. We see in the stories, he's never too busy for people. Never too busy for people. And he's never too late to bring about his good purposes for his people. You see, at the beginning of this series, if you were far from Jesus, hopefully now you've come so much closer you can just touch him. If at the beginning of this series you wanted to stay away, but now you're so much closer, you can see him. If your love for Jesus, if you already believe, was this small, hopefully now it's this big. And hopefully now you see what Jesus wants is not for us to think that he bends to our will, my time, now, but that we have to learn to trust him, that it is his time frame that is best. And it's never too late for Jesus to hold on to you, to take you by your hand, and to know that he's your precious Lord. You know, we call out to him, precious Lord, take my hand, hold me close, Bring me close to your tender chest. I mean, what else is there to desire? What else is there to desire, even more than life itself, than to have the hold of our Savior throughout this life and into the next? What more do you want than that in life? A hand that will never let us go, never abandon us, never forsake us, even in death. It's something that every Christian must learn. It's something that Thomas Dorsey had to learn. Thomas Dorsey, born in 1899 and died in 1993, he had to learn this. He had to learn that Jesus will never abandon him, 
if Jesus has his firm grip upon him. And he had to learn this in the darkest of sorrows. Because do you know his story? He's known as the, the father of gospel music. In 1932, he was a fairly new husband, been married for several years. His wife, Nettie, was pregnant, expecting their first child. However, when she went into labor, he was away at a large revival meeting in St. Louis. While away, he received a telegram with, from a small boy. Sent him a telegram, and on that yellow sheet, a heartbreaking statement. Hurry home. Your wife just died. And so he rushed home to Chicago, and it was too late. The wife was still in the same place where she died. But the son survived the labor. But then in the next two days, the son also passed away. He had to bury his wife and son in the same casket. How do you recover from that? How do you persevere? How do you lift yourself up and press on? How? The bereavement was inconsolable. His spirit was broken, and of course, you can understand that. And you listen to his testimony. You can listen to it on, on YouTube. You listen to him reflect, and he said, what shall I do then and there? He had no idea what to do. And those there were trying to tell him soothing things, but he said they were not soothing at all. Did not help at all. And he said, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do. And then he even tried to pray, but he couldn't. He said, I tried to make my little talk to God, to the Lord, but it was wasting. He couldn't pray. He called God something, but then someone else there said to him, no, no, not that. Precious Lord. He's still your precious Lord. And that started what he went on to write, the song, the famous song. He learned that if Jesus had his grip on him, he's safe and he'll be home. And he wrote those beautiful words, which we'll sing later. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. And so the gospel call goes out again. Will you trust? Do you believe? Do you have the precious Lord who takes your hand in this life and into the next? Because if you do, then even your death, my death, is just but a good night's sleep. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is indeed our precious Lord, the one who takes our hand, the one who holds us close, the one who treats us so dearly, so tenderly, so gently. Help us, Lord, to follow his lead and to trust that his timing is always best for us, as hard as it is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.